Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and on today's episode, I sit down with Daniela Yakubowski, co-founder of Bobble Bar. We invited Daniela to discuss how the brand leverages consumer data, how wholesale partners have worked to grow the business, and how Bobble Bar's marketing has evolved since its launch. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, Daniela. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. We're going to jump in. Bubble Bar. Yes. Talk to me because I feel like right now, for anybody who is a shopper, it's like a household name. Thanks. But for a long time, like you weren't even, you were not in stores. Like if you, we were out and about, we wouldn't see you. You st- What was the business model you started with? So when we first started, um, my co-founder Amy and I started based on a pretty simple premise, which was we were two people who really loved accessories. We thought they are just the most inherently fun, enjoyable category. Um, You know, we always say that, and there are quotes about this, you know, accessories are kind of like the spice and the seasoning to any dish. Um, And we just wanted to build the best spice rack there was. So that's really what we wanted to do. Um, When we started, you know, it was the two of us working out of Amy's business school apartment. So the easiest way to do it was to just do direct to consumer and focus online and get our website up and running. And that's where we started uh, nine years ago. And now we are multi-brand, multi-channel, uh, multi-category, which is really, really exciting. It's very exciting. So who, nine years ago, yeah. who were the first partners that you kind of looked to? How did you get this off the ground? So Amy and I are lucky that our backgrounds were in finance. And I think one of the things we really learned how to do well is just run through walls to figure things out. Yeah. Um, I think that in our previous jobs, you're just tasked with things that seem like you can't figure out how to do them and you just figure out how to do them. So yeah. that I think really served us well. Um, I also think being outside in the industry served us really well because it it led us to asking a lot of questions that I think people who grew up in the industry wouldn't have asked. And we had a lot of questions around supply chain and how to bring yes. product to market and where were the opportunities to look for improvements and build improvements into the system. Um, but we were also really lucky that we founded the company while we were in business school and we were surrounded by 900 of our peers, so many of whom were so eager to help and had really um, salient experience in marketing, merchandising, fundraising, operations, logistics, and all of these areas that we hadn't directly touched. Um, So we were able to really lean on a lot of our classmates to help give us advice when we were getting started. Great. What was, I mean, the marketing game was totally different then. What what, what was your go-to? Were you doing maybe TV? Were you doing, what what was working? I mean, it was totally different. Instagram didn't exist, which is crazy to think about. Um, You know, Facebook at the time was really coming up and and was really big. But what was interesting was at the time, nobody was advertising on Facebook. You know, the ad platform didn't really, you know, exist. I think they were just starting to play with it. And it was really all about organic social. And what was so fun about that period of time when we were starting, you know, that sort of 2011, 2012 time period is so many companies were seeing a lot of success 
building an audience without a big ad budget just by knowing exactly who they are, exactly what they stand for, and really telling that story um, in a way that resonated with the right community. Yeah. You know, for us, it was always about a love of accessories and how accessories really let you experiment with personal style, experiment with fashion. Um, And I think having access to some of those early media tools that allow us to tell that story in an organic way without spending money was really powerful. Yes. So what was, how did you go about like navigating the price point? Did you ever consider um, maybe like a subscription model? Like what was the model that you started with? Yeah. So we started with just straight selling product. We sell it, you buy it. Yep. That's it. Um, You know, we tested a lot of different prices in the beginning. I think for us, one of the things we really wanted to make sure is we really felt that in fashion jewelry specifically, there was a pretty big price discrepancy. A lot of people selling product that was so cool and really beautiful, but felt really pricey for for what it was. I think especially given that it's a pretty conspicuous category and you really want to change what you're wearing with a high degree of frequency. And it's not like a pair of shoes where you feel like you're going to wear them over and over and over again and get that cost per wear down. Yeah. And then there were a lot of people doing lower price point, but it really kind of felt like garbage, to be totally honest. So we really wanted to be that sort of sweet spot in the middle where it was a price that you felt really good about, we're really happy to spend money on, but really great design, really great product, really well made. And we always said that our goal in pricing was that people would um, feel comfortable buying it online, but then when they got it and they touched it and felt it and picked it up, they would be blown away by what they got for the price. Um, And I think that strategy has really served us well as we've expanded into wholesale and retail and people really seeing the product in person puts it in perspective from a price point perspective. Before you um, linked with some wholesale partners, retail partners, did you consider just kind of, you know, staying direct to consumer, opening your own stores? Was that a big leap to kind of partner up? Yeah. I mean, it was a huge leap. Um, You know, it was something that we really always wanted to do. I think when we first started, and again, it's, you know, it's literally just the two of us sitting in an apartment. But as we would dream about what the company would be, we thought about brands, you know, that had built really impressive, really large businesses over the past decade. And they all had really robust distribution channels, not just direct-to-consumer. They typically had a strong direct-to-consumer online platform. They typically had retail presence. And they typically also so had a really thoughtful wholesale strategy. Yep. We had always believed that a thoughtful wholesale strategy is a very important part of any growing brand's uh, overall way to, to reach customers ultimately. Yeah. I think especially, you know, now, even more so than then, customers are used to convenience and getting what they want, when they want, where they want it. Um, and for us as a brand, we felt that to be really true to our customer and our community, we wanted to meet them where they were and not necessarily dictate where they should always be. Yes. Um, so we spent a lot of time thinking about where our community is actively shopping today um, and recognizing that sometimes you've got an event that night and you just want a pair of earrings and it's not feasible to order it from our website and, and have it shipped to you same day. And, and it's also not feasible for us to kind of, you know, blanket the country with stores. So yeah. um, wholesale was something we were really excited to to introduce. Was Nordstrom the first partner? I just yes. remember. Okay. Nordstrom was our first partner. You had a great section of the store. And I re- remember thinking, what is Bubble Bar doing here? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We um, we were so lucky to link with Nordstrom first. We They're still, to this day, one of our um, biggest and, and, and best partners. We absolutely love working with them. I think they're just a really 
fun retailer to work with. You know, they're not afraid to, to take chances. I think they really know who their customer is. They really put product first. Um, and we've always loved working with them. Yes. So who who are your other partners? And yeah. first, let's talk about Nordstrom and how, who is your customer and why yeah. does it kind of align with their customer? Why did that make sense from the get-go? Sure. So one of the key ways that we really think about our business and, and how we've really built the business is thinking about how we take what we've built in terms of our design and production platform and really use that to power accessories across a wider range of people, ultimately. So when we think about our demographic, we're really going after folks who are a little bit earlier on the trend curve, are going to be a bit more experimental Mm -hmm. um, and really want to try fun, funky trends. So we'll have a pretty wide range all the way down to the classics. And then as we consider some of the other places that our brand is carried, um, you know, we really want to be thoughtful about reaching a broader audience. And sometimes that means we tweak the product and the product changes. Sometimes it's the same product, but we really leverage data and information to figure out what is the best product to put where. And we Mm -hmm. work so closely with our partners to do that. So we are now in over 200 retailers in 17 countries, which is crazy to think about. Yes. Um, But some of our big ones in the U.S. are Nordstrom, Shopbop, Bloomingdale's, uh, and then abroad we are in Selfridges and Le Bon Marche. Oh, great. How long have you been there abroad and gone international? Yeah, so we started going international, mostly in the UK, uh, towards the tail end of last year. Okay, great. um, And have just continued that expansion, which has been so fun for us. You know, we know that there's a lot of international appeal for the product. A lot of the same dynamics that exist in the U.S. market obviously exist in other markets. Um, And wholesale gives us a really great easy way to start to dip our toe in the water and really start to build some brand recognition in those markets. Yes. I mean, I know you have various brands. I mean, this is a heavy question. Um, Just wondering what percentage right now you're selling DTC versus through those wholesale channels. So most is through DTC still. Yeah. Got it. And when did the Target collab? It's a Different brand altogether. Yes. Tell me the name of it again. Sugar Fix by Bobble Bar is yes. our brand at Target. We're sold exclusively at all 1,800 Target doors and on Target.com. Got it. Did that start as maybe, I don't know, a one and done collab or is it, I don't know, it reminds me of kind of the who, what, where collab where it's kind of just been ongoing and I don't know if that was the plan originally. Yeah, we had always talked about doing something a bit longer term. Um, That was, I think, you know, a great proof point that timing truly is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, We had been doing our research on the market and felt that there was a huge opportunity at a lower price point than where the main bobble bar brand sat. And we had wanted to introduce something and we weren't quite sure where it would go, where it would live, what it would look like. And around that time, we were introduced to the folks at Target, um, spent, you know, some time with them, getting to know them, them getting to know us. And we just really hit it off. And it was one of those really wonderful, you know, magical introductions. And we had lots of ideas for for what we wanted to do in the space. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, they are a retailer, I think, that is so inventive, so thoughtful, really considerate about putting the product first and really focusing on the right product. So we were so excited to be able to partner and are still so excited to be able to partner with a company like Target. Um, And then we worked really hard with their team on what the line would look like, where it would sit, how it would be marketed, how it would be positioned. Mm -hmm. Um, But we really wanted to work with them to breathe some new life into their jewelry section. Um, And we had always intended for that to be a multi-year 
collaboration. Nice. Is this always part of the kind of negotiation process that you need to have kind of a brand moment and you want to be able to design um, what you're showing kind of, I feel like at Nordstrom, it was maybe like its own table. Um, What goes into this kind of a display and how important is that to you? Yeah, it's very important to us. We typically talk about a lot of these things up front. Um, You know, any time that we're evaluating partnering with somebody, there are certain elements to that partnership that are, are really important to us, mostly just to make sure that the partnership is extremely successful on both sides. Yeah. So one of those is around data and making sure that we're working so closely with their team so that the product planning and buying process is extremely collaborative because that's really our secret sauce and, and what we bring to the table that's so different from anybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to us that that is a key part of any retail partnership when we're working with somebody. Great. So that's something that that we typically spend a lot of time on up front. And truthfully, once partners see the impact of kind of putting some of their data through our system has on things like sell-through, um, they're just so excited to continue working together that way. So we've seen a tremendous amount of success there. Great. Tell me what data you're looking at and what you yeah. know about your customer. Yeah. So we're typically looking a lot at what products they're picking up and really evaluating what about those products is resonating, looking for trends in terms of what's selling through. And we have all of our products attributed every single way that you could think of in our back end, everything from color to silhouette to motif to style um, to little weird nuances that you probably wouldn't think of, but our our design and merchandising team have. Um, And we really use that to help inform what's moving in in the market and what's moving within those, you know, specific demographics. Yeah. So if you're you're seeing that maybe I don't know. A blue barrette is selling better than everything else. Like how how quickly are you able to respond to that trend and those trends in sales? Yeah, really quickly. One of the things we were most excited about about this category is that it's a pretty quick turnaround time um, and you can really use the supply chain to react fast. I think what's also really exciting about jewelry is it's quite different from some other categories in that we typically refer to them as micro trends. Mm -hmm. And there are typically styles within a micro trend that people will want. So for example, when you came in, we were talking about ear cuffs, which is a huge trend right now. And people are absolutely loving ear cuffs. What we typically find is it's not that there is one specific ear cuff that everybody has to have. Mm -hmm. Um, We find that ear cuffs are a trend. People want ear cuffs. And then we're able to really narrow in on some of the um, attributes that are working within that trend. So pearl is one that's working really well. Um, You know, colorful crystal is one that was doing really well for the summer. And we kind of see that moving into clear crystal and darker crystal as we kind of head into the cooler months. So we typically find a few things that are working. And then we're able to really step on the gas for those things. Got it. Gosh, how do you gauge with who your customer is and kind of the trends that you go after? Are you just your customers just very forward? Like, are you looking at things right now, like like anklets? I'm seeing that on all the cool girls. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, can you tell tell me a little bit about kind of um, I don't know your buyers, your not buyers, your your designers. Like, yeah. who's who's kind of scouting the trends? Where are you looking? Are you look, looking on Instagram? We look at everything. Yeah. Um, and I think what's great about our setup is the team really works very cross-functionally. Our merchant design teams work very cross-functionally to talk about what we think those trends are going to be and how they're going to evolve. And what are also the things that we're excited to bring to market that we yeah. have a really strong point of view on and that we want to stand behind. So we look at everything. You know, we look at street style. We look at the shows. We look at Instagram. 
Instagram. We look at vintage. We look at just images that are inspirational and create a mood, whether it's color or material or style or silhouette. So the team really looks at, I think, everything across the board. Got it. So how are you marketing now? Yeah. So we market across a lot of different platforms. Um, Like most other folks, we are still finding that social media is a great way for us to to find people. Um, And we work really closely with a large community of um, influencers, content creators. I think what we found is, especially for our product, it's really helpful to see it on a person. Um, And I think people really love to see it styled. You know, I think given the fact that jewelry, you know, is such an important part of expressing your personal style and changing your outfit and what you're wearing, people really want to look to other people for that inspiration. Um, So we work really closely with a a huge range of people to kind of help bring a lot of those stories to life. Got it. Are you finding that micro influencers, those with a small, smaller following, engaged community are more, more effective for you now? Or are you working with any of those big dogs right now? So we always work with a huge range. Yep. Um, we don't do paid placements, but we do gift. We're always so happy to gift. We have a gorgeous showroom. We have tons of product. We're always happy to have people come in. Um, I think ultimately what we found is, it, you know, it's a range. Yeah. What's interesting about our product is it's smaller. So, you know, folks who are taking pictures, full body shots from like five feet away, that's never going to work for us. You know, it's got to be content creators who feel really comfortable showing you things up close, showing you the nitty gritty. Um, And typically we love people (laughs) who are, who are doing video, you know, who are excited to walk you through, you know, here's how I put this together. I think especially as we're moving away from jewelry, that's necessarily kind of one and done statements. Yeah. You know, the statement necklace was mm-hmm. like literally all of my 2014. The statement earring, yeah. you know, I would say was like 2017. Yes. And, you know, now we're really moving into, I think, almost every category now. Mm-hmm. It's really all about mixing and matching layers and really building your own unique statement based on putting all of these different pieces together. So I think that really lends itself even more to some of that content where people really want to understand, okay, I'm going to put three earrings and cuffs together. How do I think about that? What do yeah. I do? Are there rules? Should I not do certain things? <laughs> so I think it's it's helpful to, to see that inspiration. And we need folks who are willing to like, I mean, t- essentially take a shot of their ear. The yeah. product's small. Is that video happening on YouTube? Is it Instagram Live, Instagram? It's a mix. So yeah. some YouTube, some Instagram Live, uh, kind of all over the place. And I Got think it. The way that our technology has evolved, it is just so easy now to pick up the phone and take a quick video and, you know, God bless the people who feel really comfortable doing that because I don't think I would. (laughs) Same. Um, (laughs) I would think Pinterest would also be great for you guys. Yeah. Pinterest is another good one. Interesting in that, you know, we're really thoughtful about what product we are focusing on depending on the channel. I always think of Instagram as kind of the instant gratification. You see it, you buy it immediately. It's like the little buckets at checkout when you're waiting online and you see something and you're like, yeah, sure, I'll buy that. That seems fun. Um, Pinterest, I think, is really, we see a lot more planning. People are pinning things and considering them and debating them and wondering if they want to invest in them or they're planning a party or a wedding or this or that. Um, So we're typically focused on some of our higher price point, maybe some of our custom pieces, things that people are spending more time deliberating. Yes, on the 
point of higher price point, fine jewelry. That, yes. That's a newer rollout, correct? Yes. Yes. So we first rolled out our Gold Vermeil collection uh, in 2017. Yeah. And then we saw a huge response to that. I think people really loved being able to, you know, through the Bobble Bar brand, participate in product that felt a little bit more classic yeah. with still our point of view on fashion. It wasn't all the classics. We still had pieces in there that had a bit of a wink, a bit of whimsy. Um, and to do it at a higher price point for a higher quality product. Yeah. You know, we've really always felt that it's not about offering low price product. It's that the customer is smart and they know what they're spending their money on and they know what they're getting for their dollar. So when neon was a massive trend, you know, we had a lot of people who said, I think it's cool. I want to participate. I don't know that I want to go spend a couple hundred bucks on something neon because I don't know how much longer I'm going to want to participate in this trend. But I can get a bracelet or a pair of earrings or something from you guys for, you know, something in the 40 to $60 range. And it feels like a really fun way to participate in that trend. Yep. And then there are some looks that people really want to invest a bit more money in knowing that they're going to last and that they want a particular pair of earrings or a ring or a necklace to look the same two, three, four, five years from now. Definitely. So we're really just giving them those options. Nice. Did you start off doing seasonal collections and now is it just like newness, newness, like every day? <laughs> What's the pace? So we had always had a pretty fast pace. We had always introduced newness on a near weekly basis. Um, when we started Bobble Bar, actually for Amy and me, that was one of our big aha moments was as customers, we really felt that as a lot more of our shopping was moving online, mm -hmm. it was really boring to go to sites and have collections not turn for three months at a time. It just felt, you know, really boring. And, and browsing websites, we felt like that was the new window shopping. And we yep. wanted to go window shop and we wanted to see newness. And it didn't have to be, you know, 800 new things dropping at once. But we kind of wanted to have a reason to keep going back. Um, so we always had newness at a pretty healthy clip and we still we still do yes is that across categories even in, in your fine jewelry are you rolling new things out all the time so we will be rolling things out in fine okay um probably not as as fast of a pace yeah. as um our fashion because there are definitely styles in there that people will always want to buy yes. i think a diamond huggy is something people are literally going to always want um but we're definitely going to keep a faster pace of newness than than seasonal Yes. You launched hair accessories. When was that again? So we formally launched hair accessories earlier this year. Yes. And then we've just been bringing them out fast and furious ever since. So we actually just launched a whole new slate of fall headbands. Oh, And we'll cute. have a lot more really fun headbands coming out for the winter that we're really excited about. Yeah. Um, and then we also have some great barrettes and clips um, and also some that can be personalized, which we found is what people have been most excited about. Oh, how cute. So do you find that for you, growth means it means expansion to other other territories, but also category expansion. Um, what is needed to kind of keep keep things going? Yeah. So I think what's great about the model that we've built is there are a lot of different avenues for growth. Yes. I think new distribution channels has always been a great avenue. New categories has been and continues to be another great avenue. And then obviously we, we introduced a second brand, which... <laughs> 
<laughs> That's always a huge avenue. Um, but I think really setting ourselves up to be able to grow in a multitude of different ways has been really successful for us and has also, you know, really allowed us to build a, a pretty robust infrastructure that sort of powers all of those different opportunities. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the private label business and what's sure. happening there? Yeah. So we do private label yeah. for a number of different retailers. Um, and for us, that was pretty simple, which again, we really have built, you know, what we believe is the strongest data-driven model mm-hmm. for how product is designed and produced and, and brought to market. And we have the ability to really power the accessories industry and to do that with a wide range of, of retail partners, yes. um, obviously ourselves being the primary. But uh, <laughs> there are some folks that we that we work with in a branded capacity. And then there are some folks who have come to us and said, listen, our demographic is totally different. We think they're going to want something totally different. Mm-hmm. You guys have built this, you know, really fantastic business model around identifying what to design, how to bring it to market, and you can you can do it well and, and quickly. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to take your help with our jewelry business. So where there are retailers that don't compete with, you know, where our product is primarily sold, yeah. you know, we're really happy to work closely with them and help them better understand this market. Yes. That's so interesting. And just on the fashion side, I'm talking to some some brands, some folks who, you know, they're getting a lot of asks. Like, we really want to do private label with you. And they're they're really like, I don't know, it's a big decision. They're like, yeah. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know. They, they're not yet going there. They're not yet sold on it. Was it was that a big step? You know, it's funny. I think it was definitely a big step. It was something we spoke about a lot internally. I think there is this automatic assumption to feel as though if it's not under your brand and under your owned channel, that it's competitive. Um, And we just don't feel that way. You know, we really feel that a rising tide lifts all boats. So, you know, we even when we moved into wholesale, we had, you know, gotten the feedback of, you know, why would you move into wholesale? Um, You know, you're going to you're going to kill your business. Well, guess what? I only know one brand that has successfully built a very large owned channel with absolutely no access to wholesale whatsoever. And that brand is called Amazon. Yes. And I don't think that there's going to be another one. So I think that we all collectively need to be really, really smart and really strategic um, about where we want our brand to be sold. And again, I think it's not about making decisions that you feel are right for you um, from a financial perspective as a business. It's about making the right decisions for your customer. Yeah. So for us, we really felt like the more that we make ourselves available to our customer and the more that we bring our product to them in a way that makes it easy and fun to shop and wear bobble bar, the better that the brand will ultimately be. And then it's up to us ultimately to figure out how to do that and and make it work from a financial perspective. But I think putting the burden on your customer um, is is unfair. Yeah. Talk talk a little bit about Amazon and kind of... um, whether people are shopping fashion, whether it's going there, it's going to happen more and more. Um, it's obviously convenient. What's your take on it now? You know, I think it's so interesting. Um, it's obviously something everybody's watching extremely closely. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I personally have not shopped fashion on Amazon, um, but I always say yet, you know, yeah. I mean, God knows they've figured out a lot. <laughs> so I think it's something that we all just need to be, you know, aware of and and watching. And, and for us personally, we are always really spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, where a customer is, where they're shopping. Um, you know, I also do think that people like being able to go to multiple places for the things that they buy. I know for me personally, um, 
you know, at some point, I think convenience starts to um, plateau and it's not necessarily a driver. Mm -hmm. And I like going to different places for inspiration, um, to get content about what to buy and and to find different things. And I think people also don't want to feel like everything that they're buying is is mass produced. You know, for us, we actually have a really large and growing line of customizable, personalized products. Um, And that's been a huge, you know, part of our business and continues to be. And it's something that we find that people are really wanting more and more, which is product that is custom made for you. Like we don't actually start putting it together until you tell us exactly what it is you want, what color, what phrase, what name, what style. Um, And I think that does speak to the fact that people also really want things that feel uniquely them. Yes. I mean, was that to incorporate that, did that involve a a huge more, more hires? Like was I feel like it's a big undertaking. Like, yeah. How do you even approach custom? Because it's such a, a buzzy thing right now. And I know some <laughs> brands, are they've tried it, and maybe it's proven too overwhelming. They've yeah. backed out. So we've actually been doing custom since, I think, 2012. Oh, wow. We've been doing it for a very long time. Yeah. Um, um, we really approach it as thinking about it as it's no different than launching a new category. Yeah. So in the same way that we knew that, you know, fine jewelry and, and gold vermeil was something that we wanted to do and was an expansion and capability for our team at that time, we built out the capability. We did the same thing with custom. Um, You know, it's interesting when it started, it was really focused on, you know, nameplates and monograms, which at that time was a lot more popular. And now as customization has become bigger and bigger, I think where we've seen a lot of success is really thinking outside of the box about how you get to customize things. What are the different components that we can put together that give you new, fun, exciting ways to make something yours? Yes. Is Offering maybe five options good. Like I, I know it can be overwhelming for a customer to <laughs> sit and like yeah. design a piece of jewelry. Like how many options are you giving them, and what what are you finding is the happy place? I think it really depends on what the product is. Yeah. Um. And we spend a lot of time thinking about and doing research into how people want to shop. Some of the different things that we offer customization in. Yeah. So a great example is one of our our most successful products is a collaboration we did with Off My Case. Okay. It is an iPhone case. Um. And we designed new phones. And we came up with fun colors and patterns and prints and there's lots of different variations. Um, But we really had, you know, with the founder of that business, we collectively had a vision, for example, for how the colors would come together. So we don't, for example, let you pick a base and then pick a letter color and start like putting it together. We've put together, you know, the looks that we think are most exciting and that we think are most relevant for the market right now. So you come to a page and you can, you know, pick the one that you think most applies to you. And then obviously you customize a name, a phrase, a set of letters, whatever you want on your case. Versus I think there are other categories where we found people really would like to pick, you know, every single color and kind of put their pieces together. So I think it's about figuring out um, how customers want to shop and also, you know, what we think is is our point of view on that specific product in the market. Yeah. And to what extent are you personalizing, customizing your communication, whether it's what somebody finds on your website versus somebody else and maybe your emails? Or what's happening there? Yeah. So we definitely personalize a, a lot of what you're receiving. Yep. Um, and again, it's based on all of the data that, that we're collecting. Obviously, if you're 
shopping on the website, um, we have a pretty good idea of where yeah. you're clicking and what you're liking and what's appealing to you. And we typically find that some people just don't like certain categories. You know, they just never wear bracelets or they never wear necklaces. Yeah. Um, so we can really tailor how we speak to you accordingly. Um, I think like most companies, we are doing that in a bigger way right now in one-on-one communication. Yeah. So emails you're receiving, um, you know, one of the big opportunities that we really see for the future is thinking about, you know, how do we get the website to potentially start to morph and change and, and personalize based on, you know, the cool. experience that's probably best suited to you. Yeah. So in addition to shopping behavior and um, checkout and what they're actually buying and what they're browsing, um, are you doing anything like more, I don't know, proactively in terms of collecting data, any quizzes, anything, surveys? Yeah. So we do those from time to time. We usually send them to folks based on where they are in their customer journey because we like to check in. You know, we'd love to hear about your experience. And then what we've actually found really helpful is we also do... um, a lot of qualitative surveying where we invite people to hop on the phone, walk us through, meet us for a coffee, come chat. Um, Sometimes there's a lot of just context and background that is virtually impossible to share when you're asking somebody to like click a bunch of radial buttons and like fill out a little box. You know, they're not really going to give you the story. And there's something so powerful to really chatting one-on-one with people. We also have uh, a really incredible customer service team. It's our SWAT team. And they're very hands-on. So they make it a point to pick up the phone, chat with folks live, um, and really hear from people, you know, what's happening? Are you having an issue with an order? Why? Is it a sizing issue? Is it a fit issue? Um, What's really great about that is, you know, our team sits really close to one another, and we make sure that that information funnels back to our merchandising and design teams pretty early. So yeah. when, you know, statement earrings, you know, first hit, you know, one of the big things that that we were getting from a lot of people was, God, I love the style, but oh my God, that is heavy. Yeah. And like you wear it for four hours and you get a headache and it hurts. And like, I want to be able to wear it, but like, how do I do that? So, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about how do we keep the product feeling substantive and really using the materials that we want to use that give the look that we want to give while also being thoughtful about materials that help us take some weight out of this product. How do we make studs bigger? Because we found that with statement earrings, if the stud that that pierces your ear, if that's really dainty and small, it's going to weigh you down even heavier. You know, putting little um, things and fixers on the site that people can buy that physically sit on the back of a post of an earring to kind of help balance it out so it doesn't weigh you down we quite all as do much. not need these droopy earlobes. <laughs> that's like my biggest fear. No, I know, me too. Um, you know, so that's something that we really want to make sure that our team is talking to folks in real time and hearing some of that feedback so that yeah. we can funnel it back and then just make the experience better on the front end. Yeah, and do you, is it really important to you? Are you making the rounds to all the stores? Are there trunk shows happening? Um, what's your FaceTime like? Yeah, so we... Um, I would say we probably don't have as much FaceTime as we would like to have. Um, Amy and I are definitely what we would call more heads heads down, get stuff done kind of founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's funny because when we first started, you mentioned that, you know, Bobble Bar is, everyone knows Bobble Bar. And that's so great to hear, by the way, because I think for us, when we talk to folks and they have heard of the brand, I still get really giddy. It still feels really exciting and fresh and new to me. Um, but one of the things we do like to do from time to time and we have been known to do this from time to time, is sometimes when we've traveled for work, we'll like go to a local Nordstrom and just kind of poke our heads around and like 
watch people interact with the product. It's really illuminating to watch people come to, you know, a full table, a full assortment of your product and watch how they pick things up, try things on, talk about it, interact with it. So we always love being able to kind of creepily watch people. I don't sorry, Amy, (laughs) but we do. I mean, it's, it's, you learn so much. Yes. Do you see it as being a risk having a lot of department store partners as, you know, times they are a change in. Um, I don't know. Any concern there about maybe changing things up or maybe um, is it just Nordstrom right now? No. So we work with a, a few different department, department stores. stores. Um, you know, for us, I think we really believe in our product. Yeah. And we really believe that we have best in class product. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what wins. And we will always be carefully monitoring where is the best easiest, most convenient, most enjoyable place for our community to be shopping. And that's where the product will be. And I think as long as we continue to focus on those two things, we're going to be okay. Yeah. If you had to say one thing right now that's working in terms of acquiring customers right this moment, what, what is, what are you feeling? What's really working to bring them in? Um, product always wins. I think especially some of the, um, you know, a lot of the channels that are working right now, and I would say people's attention spans just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. The window you have to grab attention is just getting narrower and narrower. So product that is disruptive, whether it is unique in its aesthetic, whether it solves a clear need, whether it does something no other product does, um, you want something that you can flash in front of somebody and in two seconds they know that they want it. Yes. And to keep them coming back is your rewards program that you have online. Is that really working? Tell me about that. So we love our rewards program. For us, again, we really feel like the product needs to deliver on its promise. And if it does that, then people will naturally come back. Um, And we really wanted to give people a little incentive to come back. So we do have a points-driven loyalty program on the site. Again, as a, you know, multi-channel brand, we do want to be thoughtful about finding different reasons why shopping on BobbleBar.com is also still very attractive and appealing to our customer. So we have a loyalty program. Um, we are typically launching product first. Yep. We are typically launching the broadest assortment of product. Um, and we're really thoughtful about some of those little touches that make us really loyal customers for other shops, you know, so yeah. I think um, fast and free shipping, easy returns, you know, I don't want to have to send you my blood type <laughs> to like get an RMA to send you back my return. Like if it doesn't work, I just want to send it back. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think really being thoughtful about those experiences have worked well for us. I think a lot of companies when they're first starting really focus on getting you to place your order and mm-hmm. they think of it you know, kind of singularly. Um, And it's easy to forget that, you know, customer journey doesn't end when they click order. Um, You know, the customer journey exists hopefully over a long period of time and across many orders. And I think really considering how we treat some of those experiences after somebody's purchased is really important, making them feel um, like we want to make things as easy as possible and like we're listening to them in case snags happen because we all ship through UPS and the Postal Service, and yes. snags happen. Yes. Last question. I, of course, I have to go to celebrity talk. Yes. <laughs> Some big players have been wearing your stuff, your your pieces. I know, like Kylie, and like I don't know, Julia Roberts. Like, yeah. I, I just have seen the name pop up time and time again. I mean, is that just? immediate spike in sales. Um, What are the effects when somebody like Kylie wears it in a huge ad posted everywhere? I mean, it's definitely huge. Um, You know, obviously anytime a big name is wearing the product and doing so in a public way, 
people are really excited to come purchase the product. I think what's also really exciting about our category, again, is usually when a celebrity is wearing jewelry, there is an expectation that it's going to be a $10,000 product and that there's no way you're going to be able to purchase it. So I think the fact that, you know, Kylie Jenner was wearing a pair of earrings that we retail, you know, for sub $50, the fact that Julia Roberts was wearing a fistful of rings, each of which retails for 40 something dollars, you know, the fact that you can get those looks yourselves really resonates with people. So it's it's always really obviously fun and exciting when that happens. And I always think it's just really fun to see what people pick. Yes. Um, if you had a, one, one thing that's weighing on your mind right now. Ooh. Last question. Bada bing, bada bing. Well, we are <laughs> no <now>. pressure. <laughs> we are now three months, two months away from holiday kickoff. Oh, yeah. So we are kind of deep in holiday planning. And I think for me, one of the things I always think about is given how quickly the market changes, what's going to be different this year. Um, So we spend a lot of time thinking about that. And, and, and obviously holidays, it's, you know, it's a, it's a small period of time in which, you know, a lot of people buy lots of wonderful things. Um, And it's always interesting to kind of see how, how people are going to move the market. Ear cuffs for everyone. Ear cuffs for everyone. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Daniela. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this episode. As a thank you for listening, we're offering Glossy Podcast listeners 20% off an annual Glossy Plus membership, giving you unlimited access to fashion and beauty stories. Use the code PODCAST at checkout. The Glossy Podcast is produced by Pierre Bienname. Please head to the reviews section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a review. Thanks for listening.